Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hey audience and listeners, this is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing. Today I have Cody Payne and Michael Tran from Collius International out of Dallas market. Hey guys, why not you say hi to our audience and why not you introduce what you guys do? Yeah, hey everybody, Michael here. Um, you know, we focus mainly on multi-tenant uh, mid-rise office buildings or industrial buildings or industrial parks. Um, anything between three to 25 mil is our typical range that we work on. And I'm Cody Payne and I work with Michael and you know, that's pretty much, uh, he sums it up pretty well. We sell investment office and industrial buildings in Dallas-Fort Worth. Got it, got it. So you guys are brokers. Do you own any of these as well? Um, yeah, actually we, uh, we do, we actually just did a syndication uh, mm -hmm. not long ago where we pulled together a few investors money and bought a portfolio of five office buildings out in the mid cities and uh, we've even done some development also. Got it. So office and industrial, nobody have talked about this asset class in this show. So I want to go really deep into how people make money out of this asset class because I'm a multifamily guy. I'm so used to multifamily and a lot of people knows multifamily very well. It's like seems to be like the only asset commercial, the only asset class out there, right? Uh, but I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who's killing it in industrial and office. So I want to go deep into, you know, how an active investor would look at these two asset class. And you guys absolutely will be you know, giving a lot of value in this discussion. So let's start with industrial. Can we define what is an industrial asset class? You know, how does it look like when I drive by? How can I say this is industrial? And is there any different types of industrial that I need to you know, be aware of when I drive by and when I look at something? Yeah, absolutely. So industrial is going to be, you know, your big box, tall, you know, concrete warehouses that you'll see as you're driving along the freeway or, you know, in some other parts. Um, you know, these things can range anywhere from, you know, tenants utilizing just a couple thousand square feet up to, you know, a large shipping receiving warehouse that you'll see, you know, that can be half a million, million square feet. You know, a lot of things that I think a lot of people are familiar with is, you know, seeing those tall 24, 36 foot tall uh, concrete structures where a lot of 18 wheelers are backed up to that are, you know, uh, loading, unloading, cross docking and things of that nature. That's that's what your typical image of a warehouse uh, industrial is. And a lot of people look for that. And uh, that's one of the key asset classes that a lot of investors are looking for right now. Well, so you said a lot of investors. I mean, it's, it's a very relative term. And I'm not sure if you guys know how much invest in multifamily. So is that same equivalent people are investing in industrial and office? Or is it like, I mean, from your knowledge, you know, multifamily is like crazily too many people and industrial is like a, a niche buyer pool? The office and industrial, it, it is a little more niche. I wouldn't say there's as many buyers for it um, as there is for multifamily. I mean, you know, obviously, there's a lot more multifamily than there are, you know, mid-rise office buildings, especially out here in Dallas-Fort Worth and even in Texas as a whole. Um, but it's very niche specific. And so, you know, that's why a lot of times you'll see a, a multifamily guy, uh, you know, refer out if someone's looking at buying an office building or, you know, even vice versa, you know, because we won't sell a multifamily complex uh, just because we're not as, as aware of it. But 
the buyer pool is still very good. We get a lot of multifamily people, uh, especially over the past three, four, five years that have really started to hone in on the office industrial market uh, as compared to, you know, the, my 10 years prior to that. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Even in my book, I mentioned that, you know, all these asset classes, they are somebody who's really good at good at these asset classes. And a lot of passive investors just look to, you know, seek to this kind of operators who are really good at industrial office or multifamily work. They are people who specialize in this and they're really, really good at it. So they have to seek for that uh, operators. Right. So that's good to know. It's very niche uh, market. Right. So so coming back to industrial, how do I identify a sub market? How do I find an industrial which is a really good in terms of location? How do I say if I look at this building, I can say that this building is in a really good industrial uh, location. How do I say that? What what are the factors I need to look at? Um, you know, one of the main ones nowadays is access. A lot of the logistics chains uh, they're trying to make sure they can get the eighteen wheelers in there parked. That's why a lot of the users um, that are looking out that way, um, they're always making sure that they're centralized too. So like, let's say the Great Southwest District here, um, just south of DFW Airport. Um, that's one of the biggest industrial hubs over here. Um, you can get to almost any part of the Metroplex within 20 to 30 minutes max. And then you'll have uh, Alliance, which is in North Fort Worth. I think that's a sleeper town that a lot of people overlook here, but they're just building more and more bigger boxes up there. And it's due to the 35 West uh, Highway that goes all the way down to Austin, even down where you guys are at. So uh, that's become another major hub for us as well. And um, FedEx, Amazon, uh, they're all up that way. And you've got over in, you've got little pockets up in Plano as well. Um, which is probably about 30 minutes from the airport. And they've got some major, like Toyota is looking to move up that way. And they've got everybody else just following them over here. So do you look at, like, for example, in multifamily, right? We look at household demographic, you know, we look at household median household income and, you know, income growth, job growth and all that. But it looks like industrial is different, I guess. Like you have to look at how convenient is for the 18 wheelers to meet and compare and also seems to be some kind of adjacent adjacency with uh, you know certain key uh, distributors like Amazon or Toyota right so is that is that uh, is that is that a key factor some I presume yeah absolutely and actually we've got a map behind us sure let me show you a couple things oh, yeah. real quick for those who are on YouTube you can definitely see the map uh, yeah it's yeah. very tricky to really you know talk numbers in terms of uh, this is right. the Dallas Fort Worth airport right here okay mm -hmm. And this is the great Southwest district that Michael was talking about. Okay. This is where you'll have a lot of warehousing and a lot of it up North as well. Amazon's got a large center uh, just mm -hmm. as well. So you kind of have the same thing, which is growing a lot out here where Hillwood has their Alliance airport. And then the same thing back over here where Dallas love field is, there's a lot of warehouse over there and there's a lot off Simmons. So, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of these guys where we see, uh, a lot of tenant velocity and things of that nature are going to be closest to the airports because that okay. gives them, especially Dallas Fort Worth, because here they can go to Fort Worth, they can go to Dallas, they can go south, they can go north, and they can receive from one of the largest airports in the world right here. Got it. So it's basically access to the airport and access to the highway. And how convenient is it to go to other big cities, I guess, right? Fort Worth, Austin, and you know. They don't, yeah, and they don't necessarily need highway visibility because that's mm -hmm. you know your most expensive parcel of land mm -hmm. but 
they need good access to it. And so having them there by that airport, they've got access to, you know, I-20, I-30, 183, 360. And so that's a really good hub. And that's why that district is such a large district and continues to expand. Is there like a park, like an industrial park where the city or the government has allocated? Uh, or is it like, is there random everywhere in, in this? Uh... No, they're more, they're more spread out. Okay. okay I think got it. Yeah. So there is no like tax incentive offered by any uh, government or any cities, I guess. For the well, there, yeah, certain cities will offer certain tax incentives. I know uh, mm-hmm. Dallas offers uh, quite a few in certain areas. Uh, okay. And even if you start getting into like the opportunity zone areas and things of that nature. Got it. Got it. Got it. So, so you, we talk in terms of industrial, in terms of square footage, right? That's what you said, right? square footage and access, access all amenities, but I presume what is the average square uh, price per square feet in terms of industrial uh, buildings? Um, so that is a very good question because those can actually range anywhere between 50 a foot all the way up to, you know, building new. Also depends on age of the building, ceiling height, okay. power in the building. So there's a lot of factors in uh, industrial that, you know, you have to account for. How many docks as well? Dock high, uh, grade level doors. Are, are you familiar with the, any of these terms? No, no, this is all completely new. Yeah, so. You <laughs> know. But, but it's important. I want you guys to share that level of details because I, I want people to really learn how do you, because I'm going to go to the underwriting later on. So let's, right, let's go right. into features of the industrial. Is, is there like a class A, class B, class C industrial buildings? Absolutely. Go over some of the rates that you see on some of these. Yeah, what, what, are, the, what are the class A? And rental rates. Are you, are you asking for rental rates? Oh, rental rates and also buildings, right? I presume that's all okay. related. Okay, let's do some rental rates. Yeah, so rental rates, you'll see anything uh, depending, like I said, very niche specific stuff. So like mm-hmm. you'll see anything from $4 a foot all the way up to 10 uh, and sometimes even higher and triple net for some of the newer industrial product coming out. And then you have, if it's if it's in a less desirable area, they'll teeter with the four to seven modified gross or industrial mm-hmm. gross, as you'll hear. Um, and those usually have some expenses in there that are charged back to the tenant. Um, as for space, if the space is less desirable, uh, you're going to see more of that industrial gross number, uh, anywhere between you know five to seven. Newer stuff, like I said, ten dollars, sometimes triple net, just depending on area and access. And a lot of times, as that building size gets larger, that rental rate will a lot of times go down. Okay, so before before we go further, can you define triple net? Because a lot of people in the residential stage, uh, they are not used to this triple net. Can you define a triple net? What does it mean? Yeah, so if you can ever in residential, try to charge them triple net. But <laughs> what I'm saying is so triple net, um, basically it's taxes, uh, insurance, and common area maintenance is charged back to your tenant. Okay. So sometimes uh, you can get an absolute net, triple net deal. Um, and that's where the tenant also takes care of the roof and structure. It's not as common in industrial unless it's a single tenant deal, but uh, most of the time you're going to see just regular triple nets. Okay. Well, interesting because we don't have that in uh, multifamily, right? That would be awesome, right? So, yeah, you need to so, in the... <laughs> so triple net also means that if the property taxes goes up, the landlord doesn't get any, I mean, we don't get any impact, I guess. Like we still get the rents that we're supposed to get, I guess. That's correct. And and sometimes, you know, your tenant, if they're a little more savvy, um, they'll have like a protection on no higher increase than 5 to 10% on their common area maintenance or taxes. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's say like your lawn guy wants to charge you way more. Um, you know, that'll force you to just find a new lawn at a more reasonable price. Got it. Got it. Got it. So what is the landlord responsible then? Roof and parking lot, structure and building. Okay. If, it's, if okay. it's a triple net, yeah. So does the landlord still get the tax benefits of their owning the real estate? I, I presume so, right? Because you own the building, you own the roof, and you, you own the real estate, I guess, right? Yes. So, well, it depends on the tax benefits that they're getting, but if it's, you know, ownership of the real estate tax benefits, yes. Now, if it's business-related or some of that nature, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's for them, obviously. Correct, correct, correct. And uh, I think the depreciation schedule for industrial and, and office, I just want to cover that, uh, is... 39 and a half is that right i'm not mistaken uh i believe you're correct um okay. I, I know in spend 7.5. Before ask me. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i think i think residential is 27.5 and all of the asset class is like 39 or 39.5 i can't remember but but that's a good uh good distinction between triple net and the normal deals that we buy in multifamily. so coming back to my question so i know we talked about different rental rates but is there any classes uh, that you guys have categorized in terms of industrial uh, buildings so it's just based on uh, how old they are and there's no real uh, definition in terms of yeah no so they do have classes you've got b you've got c you've got a class and okay. a lot of times that is determined by age and location and you know building quality and things of that nature Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. But definitely have to be in some way accessible near to the distribution uh, pod, I would say, or distribution hub, I guess. That's what a lot of them like. They, they are very keen on location. Like I said, it doesn't have to have highway frontage, but having that access is very key. Okay. Uh, what about the, who buys the industrial? I mean, I, I never find, I, I want to interview a big as a buyer of industrial parks and industrial buildings, and I can never find much, but you guys know all these guys, but who, who buys, uh, you know, what are the, what is the typical buyer uh, characteristics or where does he come from? You know, who, what does he look for? What is his appetite in terms of investment uh, whenever they buy this industrial building? Absolutely. So there, there's a lot of buyers for industrial and okay. they increase every day and, you know, even for the small, the small bay warehouses, you know, there we have so many of those people that keep pouring into the marketplace and not just Texas, but in, in mm-hmm. the U.S. as a whole. But yeah, industrial probably gets some of the most cross product or cross asset buyers uh, that we've got. Um, you know, people from self storage buy these. People mm-hmm. with retail, you know, uh, past experience they buy these. We even have apartment owners and operators buy these. Um, but you know, there's a lot of REITs and institutions and things of that nature that are big in it. But no, a lot of, uh, I would say the past 10 deal, the past 10 industrial buildings that we sold, probably, I think I want to say seven of those were to out of state owners. Got it. Are they from coastal city, like New York and California? Are they local? Texas yeah, guys? Canada, Florida, Chicago. Okay. Absolutely. And do you see that this one guy buying across the nation or is it still very localized? No, a lot of these people will buy across the nation, but you okay. know, Texas is a market that a lot of these people will look into. Oh, Texas. They like a lot of Texas. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And like Michael was saying, you know, because of the Dallas-Fort Worth economy mm. and that nature, it gets a lot of eyes. Got it. Very interesting. Okay. So, okay. So let's go back to underwriting an industrial building. I presume there's a rental of that building where the tenants, is it like usually one tenant or is it like multiple tenants or how does I that mean, work? Or is it, it all the eighteen wheelers parking need to pay need to pay rent? Yeah, it can be one tenant. Uh, okay. We just sold a, a very large complex off of three hundred and sixty. Okay, that had about eighty tenants in it. 
Oh. So, yeah, so it can be, it can be uh, very intense with a lot of tenants. And I think the group that bought that had a lot of multifamily experience as well. So 80 tenants uh, in one building, I mean, do they have like counters in it or do they have docks? Yeah, so it was a bunch of buildings and a business park. Okay. okay. And so it was about 22 of them. And so oh. it was a business park, yeah. So, it, okay. uh, but so it's yeah, like an industrial park where everybody have buildings and they, they rent the... Okay, yeah, got it, got it. they had their own suites and things of that nature. Okay, so if it's triple net, then probably there's nothing nothing to do with expense ratio for a landlord, right? Because you get... If yeah, a lot of those, stuff. I believe, were on gross leases still. But okay. uh, with industrial, a lot of people that aren't on triple net are, are going that way. Okay, explain what's the difference between gross lease and triple net. So a gross lease, you'll find a lot more in office and general office. Okay. You will find it. You will absolutely find it in industrial. A gross lease is going to be where the landlord's taking on common area maintenance, landscaping, repairs and maintenance, you know, HVAC, things of that nature. And Mm -hmm. so it's more management intensive. Your expenses on the landlord are going to be higher. And that's a gross lease, but then you start getting into other types of leases. You know, you got, you got full service, you got gross, you've got, modified gross and you get into like net double net triple net okay and what about full service as you mentioned because i've seen so full service you're really only going to see that in office okay and what i mean by that is landlord pays everything they pay the utilities they pay the janitorial they pay the common area maintenance they pay taxes interest they cover everything a tenant goes in as you know a price per square foot and that's all they pay got it very interesting so let's go to office I mean, in general, people are worried about office, right? Because, you know, people say the trend is working from home, right? So is that still true? Not here. <laughs> Not probably in Dallas, I guess. No, so. no. You know, I think office is uh, actually trending a lot more towards co-working and, and things of that nature. And, and that's a model that has just expanded and blown up like crazy, especially out here in Dallas-Fort Worth. So what are, what is a typical investor who's looking to buy office space or office buildings? I mean, where do they come from? What do they look for in an office? Uh, what kind of hold time do they have usually? Yeah, so their hold time can range anywhere between five and seven years. Okay. Uh, but, you know, we just did a major value-add project in Plano, where Toyota's headquarters is. Uh, State Farm had moved out and... It was probably 20% occupied. Um, that buyer actually, you know, did a bridge loan and he's going to go ahead and um, get that filled up very quickly just because the area's occupancy is not any lower than 80, 85%. But where these buyers come from, same thing as the industrial guys, because a lot of industrial buyers also look at office and office guys look at industrial as well. Um, but like I was telling you the other day on the phone, uh, we've noticed a huge influx of multifamily buyers in moving into office just because the returns are a little higher. And so you'll we had uh, that, like that last guy in California. Uh, we've got one in Chicago looking at one of our deals right now. We've got a couple local groups out here that know these uh, office buildings really well too. And they know the trends of the area and how the occupancy is. So uh, one specifically we're working on right now near White Rock Lake in Dallas, um, that one's at 92, 93%. And that one's always been full ever since anybody can remember. So um, that's where these buyers come from. Any other questions? Yeah. How do you decide this, is, this office space is in a good location? 
other than knowing i know plano is hot and i know free school is hot but how do, what are the parameters you look for in terms of like uh, jobs growth in that particular sub market or you know yeah uh, so demographics right so yeah yeah so you look for competition within the area for that office building okay. you look at comparables in that market to the building because if you know the market really well and you know every building you'll see that you know some gives you like a better bang for your buck you know they'll have some will have a lot of amenities that they're starting to offer some groups are starting to do incubator spaces where they have a smaller co-working model and then their tenants will grow into spaces that are available in their building that they have room and so they'll convert you know a small executive office and they can charge anywhere you know 35 to 45 dollars per square foot just for a room and as that tenant grows they can grow within the building um, but if you want to look at like specific markets like uh las colinas irving area are you familiar with that area yeah 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 so you know that area has a lot of office and you know that's one thing you need to make sure of when you're looking at a deal how many other class b or class a properties can your tenants look at before they commit to a space but if you're looking over in dallas like where white rock is right our building is the only building for the next two or three miles before you hit a highway either going towards 75 or going north towards 635. And so that's why this building has been able to capture a lot of the people who don't want to drive all the way to 75 and fight that traffic every day or drive north on 635 and fight with that traffic as well. So you probably look at cost, what, what uh, VPD, right? Vehicle per day drive on that nearby highway, I guess, right? And I think, as you mentioned, you look at other office uh, supply in that area and I, I presume you look at vacancy rate as well, right? On on, on all this nearby office. Uh, what tool do you use? Is it COSA that you guys is primary for this industrial and office? Yeah, you can use, so there's a lot of tools. You can use CoStar and, you know, Crexy and things of that nature. Um, there's a lot of, you know, real capital analytics as well. They track a lot of good stuff. What I would also say on the office side is it's probably one of the product types that's a little closer to multifamily. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as kind of uh, how to make them successful and things of that nature, because you know when people go look at a multifamily complex, they usually have a couple options, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times, what they look at is you know amenities, access, you know recent renovations, things of that nature. Uh, what can they do for me on a new move in? And so office is very much uh, a model that is driven just like multifamily, and so you know keeping up with the times making sure the renovations are good you know making sure the building you know offers you know things like you know some of you know a deli or you know wi-fi and stuff of that nature or co-working uh style environment uh those things all help office buildings uh succeed got it and what about this uh you know vacancy rate because sometimes you know I mean, multifamily is you know, people need a place to live and, you know, vacancies are pretty low, I guess, comparatively to office. So, I mean, different different tenant profile, right? So what is the average vacancy rate when, I mean, is it, how do I know like this area, this is the vacancy rate? You know, because sometimes it can be like six months, one year, sometimes it can be a few months, right? Depends on the area, I guess. Right? How do you determine what is the vacancy rate for office? And what are the lease terms in office usually? Absolutely. So uh, the vacancy rate is going to be area driven. Okay. Right. And so, you know, you'll have certain areas like, uh, you know, downtown Fort Worth, which will have 
a certain vacancy rate. And then that is going to be very much different than, you know, Las Colinas, downtown Dallas, you know, Plano, Allen, McKinney, Frisco. Uh, we pulled something uh, earlier today, working on a few things out in the Allen and McKinney area up there by Frisco. And, uh, you know, their B, their class B office space is, you know, around, you know, 5% on the vacancy side, which is very good for office, um, especially with more and more supply continuing to come up out there. Uh, and Las Colinas, it's gonna it, it's gonna move a little bit more, and so you know, in my career, I've seen Las Colinas go you know down to almost thirty percent, and you know come up to you know somewhere around ten. But there's a lot of supply out there, and there's always things shifting. Fort Worth, I believe their occupancy is higher than what's being shown, but that's because XTO owned a bunch of the office product out there at one time, and they recently sold a lot of that off. So some of that's being converted to hotels and things of that nature, uh, but what you want to look at when you're buying an office building is, yes, the area vacancy, the area rental rates, but also the velocity of tenants. How many tenants are moving in that area? And then you also want to look at what are the size of tenants, the square footage sizes that we have, and what is really the area tenant size. And so, you know, some people will buy a building and, you know, they'll have, you know, 10,000, 15,000 square foot units when the area is really commanding you know, three to 5,000 square foot tenants. And so they'll see a lot longer on market time. And so what they need to do is chop those spaces down. And do people who buy, you know, I just want to add industrial, sorry, industrial and office, are they people who syndicate deals? Like what a lot of multifamily people do? Or is it REITs? Or is it some institutional or some rich guy, you know, from the coastal areas? It can, you know, it can be a rich guy like yourself, or it can be uh, a. I'm, I'm in Austin, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it varies, you know. When you start dealing under five million dollars, a lot of that's going to be private. private. Okay, but is it is it a lot of syndication happening, oh, or is it still? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh, really? Okay. So, so syndication is not a multifamily game only. It's also in the office and industrial. Okay, that's yeah. really good to know because I didn't know that. Yeah, and to go back on your question, you you're asking about you know lease term. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. At least so, yes. Yes. So you want to make sure that you know um, area driven, right? Like mm -hmm. who you're saying, um, but you also want to make sure that your TIs are not going to eat you alive. Yeah. So TI is the tenant improvements. Just just for right. the audience for them to know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, um, and you'll see a lot of these uh, guys in office that are moving. Sometimes they really want like a you know gold plated wall finish out. And you just can't do that for them. You need to make sure you get that lease term where it can get your TIs um, not in the red for the first year. Uh, you want to try to keep that around, you know, like $10 or so per square foot. But you'll see those terms go just depending on what they need done to the space, how many offices they need built out. You'll see that range anywhere between three years, five years, seven or 10 uh, sometimes 15 if it's a really big one uh, that's usually the range you'll see on uh, lease term got it so i think it's all up to negotiation and how much the landlord's going to pay and what are the how strong is the lease terms and all that right yeah how do you qualify your tenants i mean let's say i'm a buyer i'm buying a, an office space with you know 10 different tenants in it right how do i say this is a class a tenant this is a class b tenant class c tenant how do, how do i say that um, so when we underwrite a lot of these deals, we're looking at the tenants, how long they've been there. Mm -hmm. uh, we can also reach out to you know the seller or ourselves if we know the tenant, um, what their credit rating is, uh, and you can give a write-up on them. Like 
uh, we were selling a three tenant deal out in Las Colinas and some of the tenants themselves put in their own money. They put in 500,000 in improvements to make the space work for them. Um, so that was one of the things that, uh, you know, we made sure that we had in our OM when we were underwriting that deal and how much time they had left. Cause when you're looking at these, you're like, oh man, this guy, he's only got a year or two left, but you know, a year or two ago, they put $500,000 into the space. So sometimes those are really big, you know, key factors when, you know, you're explaining these, uh, commitment levels of the tenant yeah, to yeah. a buyer. So uh, you said credit credit rating. Is there a data that you pull out from them, or you just look at history and how they have lived and all that? Yeah, all those things combined. But, but is that is that something that where you can pull from the credit rating of the tenants? Is that a system, or you just you just have to look at yeah, the, check these items? Yeah, not always. But you know, when you're working a lease deal, um, mm-hmm. when I used to lease back in the day, we would look we would get tenant financials from them. Okay. Sometimes, yeah. So based on their financials and what's their commitment to the space, that's that's where you establish their credit rating, I guess. Yes, and comfort level. Okay. And then like, oh, okay, I feel like their financials are good enough for me to spend. So it's very subjective then because, I mean, somebody who want to sell the deal, he may say all my tenants are A-plus credit rating, I guess. So I'm, I'm just trying to quantify that a bit more, but I think it looks like there's no real... The no times you would have like a yeah, so the times you would have like a, a an A plus credit rating or something of that nature is when you've got like you know a, a Davita or something of that nature in the building or a FedEx or something uh, okay. like okay. that. But a lot of times office buildings will have you know a little bit more generic companies, local, regional firms, uh, mm-hmm. and so that's why Michael said you know if they're going to spend a lot of money on the finish out, they'll mm-hmm. say hey, we'd like to see your you know. Business financials, just so we can make sure the money we're spending that you look like you're, you know, somebody's going to be in business for the term, and you know they're pretty much used to that. Got it, got it. So let's say a, a building is being sold right now, right? And some of the residents have like one or two years lease term left in their leases. If they get to know that somebody is going to buy this building, will they start negotiating with the new buyer, or the new buyer have an option to know whether they're going to be renewing? How does that work? Now that basically increases your risk. Yeah. So typically, um, they do not know until you're pretty far along in the process. Okay. So uh, they'll usually get a tenant estoppel, which will signal to them that hey, uh, the building may change hands to a new owner. Um, but although they're getting that, it's mainly just a lease verification to make sure they're also their security deposit gets transferred yeah. over as well. You don't want to alert the tenants, but uh, you know you also want to make sure that when you're working on these, that they're paying what they're saying on the OM and it's matching what it has on the estoppel as well. Got it, got it, got it. Well, Michael and Cody, thanks for coming. I mean, can you uh, tell our audience and listeners how to get hold of you? You guys are doing really big deals in uh, the DFW area. I'm, I'm not sure, are you guys covering any other areas other than DFW? I'd say 95% of the business uh, that we've got is in DFW. Now we will branch out and sell a couple things here and there. We're actually about to bring out a 20-story office tower out in Corpus Christi. Uh, but that's a, a relationship that we have. Um, yeah. Let me know if some of the towers in Austin is coming for sale. I'm planning to buy one. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I just heard there's 37 new towers coming in Austin. So, <laughs> Well, so, <laughs> there's a lot of people that are looking out there. I can tell you that. Yeah. So uh, why not you, you guys tell our audience how to get hold of you guys? I'll do it. So 
Uh, yeah, Cody Payne, Michael Tran. Our number is 817-840-0055. 817-840-0055. We're with Colliers International. We're office and industrial specialists. And we've got some really good self-storage and retail guys here as well. Good, good, good. Guys, I mean, look for specialists because you know, all this asset class, there's a lot of nuances to it. There's so much of details. Not everybody can do this. And, uh, you know, these guys are some of the best in the industry. Thanks for coming on. Right here, baby. <laughs> See ya. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audio book. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free along with other valuable resources by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.